0: Section 25, Part 1 of Myths and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. Myths and Legends of Ancient Greece and Rome by E. M. Berens Section 25, Part 1 Legends. Pelops. Pelops, the son of the cruel Tantalus, was a pious and virtuous prince. After his father was banished into Tartarus, a war ensued between Pelops and the king of Troy, in which the former was vanquished and forced to fly from his dominions in Phrygia. He emigrated into Greece, where, at the court of Enomaeus, king of Elis, he beheld Hippodamia, the king's daughter, whose beauty won his heart. But an oracle having foretold to Enemaus that he would die on the day of his daughter's marriage, he threw every obstacle in the way of her suitors, and declared that he would only give her to him who succeeded in vanquishing him in a chariot race, but that all unsuccessful competitors should suffer death at his hands the conditions of the contest were as follows. The race was to be run from a given point at Pisa to the altar of Poseidon at Corinth. The suitor was allowed to start on his course whilst Enemaus performed his sacrifice to Zeus, and only on its completion did the king mount his chariot, guided by the skilful Mertilus, and drawn by his two famous horses Phila and Harpinna, who surpassed in swiftness the winds themselves. In this manner many a gallant young prince had perished, for although a considerable start was given to all competitors, still Enomaeus with his swift team always overtook them before they reached the goal and killed them with his spear. But the love of Pelops for Hippodamia overcame all fears, and, undeterred by the terrible fate of his predecessors, he announced himself to Enomaeus as a suitor for the hand of his daughter. On the eve of the race, Pelops repaired to the seashore and earnestly implored Poseidon to assist him in his perilous undertaking. The sea-god heard his prayer, and sent him out of the deep a chariot drawn by two-winged horses. When Pelops appeared on the course, the king at once recognised the horses of Poseidon, but nothing daunted, he relied on his own supernatural team, and the contest was allowed to proceed. Whilst the king was offering his sacrifice to Zeus, Pelops set out on the race, and had nearly reached the goal when, turning round, he beheld Aenomaeus' spear in hand, who, with his magic steeds, had nearly overtaken him. But in this emergency Poseidon came to the aid of the son of Tantalus. He caused the wheels of the royal chariot to fly off, whereupon the king was thrown out violently and killed on the spot, just as Pelops arrived at the altar of Poseidon. As the hero was about to return to Pisa to claim his bride, he beheld in the distance flames issuing from the royal castle, which at that instant had been struck by lightning. With his winged horses he flew to rescue his lovely bride, and succeeded in extricating her uninjured from the burning building. They soon afterwards became united— and Pelops reigned in Pisa for many years in great splendour. Heracles or Hercules. Heracles, the most renowned hero of antiquity, was the son of Zeus and Alcmene, and the great grandson of Perseus. At the time of his birth, Alcmene was living at Thebes with her husband Amphitryon and thus the infant Heracles was born in the palace of his stepfather. Aware of the animosity with which Hera persecuted all those who rivalled her in the affections of Zeus, Alcmene, fearful lest this hatred should be visited on her innocent child, entrusted him soon after his birth to the care of a faithful servant, with instructions to expose him in a certain field, and there leave him, feeling assured that the divine offspring of Zeus would not long remain without the protection of the gods. Soon after the child had been thus abandoned, Hera and Pallas Athene happened to pass by the field, and were attracted by its cries. Athene pityingly took up the infant in her arms, and prevailed upon the Queen of Heaven to put it to her breast. But no sooner had she done so than the child, causing her pain, she angrily threw him to the ground and left the spot. Athene, moved with compassion, carried him to Alcmene and entreated her kind offices on behalf of the poor little foundling. Alcmene at once recognised her child and joyfully accepted the charge. Soon afterwards Hera, to her extreme annoyance, discovered whom she had nursed, and became filled with jealous rage. She now sent two venomous snakes into the chamber of Alcmene, which crept, unperceived by the nurses, to the cradle of the sleeping child. He awoke with a cry, and, grasping a snake in each hand, strangled them both. Alcmene and her attendants, whom the cry of the child had awakened, rushed to the cradle, where, to their astonishment and terror, they beheld the two reptiles dead in the hands of the infant Heracles. Amphitryon was also attracted to the chamber by the commotion, and when he beheld this astounding proof of supernatural strength, he declared that the child must have been sent to him as a special gift from Zeus— He accordingly consulted the famous seer Tiresias, who now informed him of the divine origin of his stepson, and prognosticated for him a great and distinguished future. When Amphitryon heard the noble destiny which awaited the child entrusted to his care, he resolved to educate him in a manner worthy of his future career. At a suitable age he himself taught him how to guide a chariot, Eurytus how to handle the bow, Autolycus, dexterity and wrestling and boxing, and Castor the art of armed warfare, whilst Linus, the son of Apollo, instructed him in music and letters. Heracles was an apt pupil, but undue harshness was intolerable to his high spirit, and old Linus, who was not the gentlest of teachers, one day corrected him with blows, whereupon the boy angrily took up his lyre, and with one stroke of his powerful arm killed his tutor on the spot. Apprehensive lest the ungovernable temper of the youth might again involve him in similar acts of violence, Amphitryon sent him into the country, Where he placed him under the charge of one of his most trusted herdsmen. Here, as he grew up to manhood, his extraordinary stature and strength became the wonder and admiration of all beholders. His aim, whether with spear, lance, or bow, was unerring, and at the age of eighteen he was considered to be the strongest as well as the most beautiful youth in all Greece. THE CHOICE OF HERACLES. Heracles felt that the time had now arrived when it became necessary to decide for himself how to make use of the extraordinary powers with which he had been endowed by the gods, and in order to meditate in solitude on this all-important subject, he repaired to a lonely and secluded spot in the heart of the forest. Here two females of great beauty appeared to him— One was vice, the other virtue. The former was full of artificial wiles and fascinating arts, her face painted and her dress gaudy and attractive, whilst the latter was of noble bearing and modest mien, her robes of spotless purity. Vice stepped forward and thus addressed him, If you will walk in my paths and make me your friend, your life shall be one round of pleasure and enjoyment. You shall taste of every delight which can be procured on earth. The choicest viands, the most delicious wines, the most luxuriant of couches shall be ever at your disposal, and all this without any exertion on your part, either physical or mental. Virtue now spoke in her turn. If you will follow me and be my friend, I promise you the reward of a good conscience and the love and respect of your fellow men. I cannot undertake to smooth your path with roses or to give you a life of idleness and pleasure, for you must know that the gods grant no good and desirable thing that is not earned by labour and as you sow, so must you reap. Heracles listened patiently and attentively to both speakers, and then, after mature deliberation, decided to follow in the paths of virtue, and henceforth to honour the gods and to devote his life to the service of his country. Full of these noble resolves, he sought once more his rural home, where he was informed that on Mount Cithaeron, at the foot of which the herds of Amphitryon were grazing, a ferocious lion had fixed his lair, and was committing such frightful ravages among the flocks and herds, that he had become the scourge and terror of the whole neighbourhood. Heracles at once armed himself and ascended the mountain, where he soon caught sight of the lion, and rushing at him with his sword, succeeded in killing him. The hide of the animal he wore ever afterwards over his shoulders, and the head served him as a helmet. As he was returning from this, his first exploit, he met the heralds of Erginus king of the Minians, who were proceeding to Thebes to demand their annual tribute of a hundred oxen indignant at this humiliation of his native city heracles mutilated the heralds and sent them back with ropes round their necks to their royal master aginus was so incensed at the ill-treatment of his messengers that he collected an army and appeared before the gates of thebes demanding the surrender of heracles creon who was at this time king of thebes fearing the consequences of a refusal, was about to yield, when the hero, with the assistance of Amphitryon and a band of brave youths, advanced against the Minions. Heracles took possession of a narrow defile, through which the enemy were compelled to pass, and as they entered the pass the Thebans fell upon them, killed their king Arginus, and completely routed them. In this engagement Amphitryon, the kind friend and foster-father of Heracles, lost his life. The hero now advanced upon Orchomenus, the capital of the Minions, where he burned the royal castle and sacked the town. After this signal victory all Greece rang with the fame of the young hero, and Creon, in gratitude for his great services, bestowed upon him his daughter Megara in marriage. The Olympian gods testified their appreciation of his valour by sending him presents. Hermes gave him a sword, Phoebus Apollo a bundle of arrows, Hephaestus a golden quiver, and Athene a coat of leather. HERACLES AND EURYSTHEUS and now it will be necessary to retrace our steps. Just before the birth of Heracles, Zeus, in an assembly of the gods, exultingly declared that the child who should be born on that day to the house of Perseus should rule over all his race. When Hera heard her lord's boastful announcement, she knew well that it was for the child of the hated Alcmene that this brilliant destiny was designed, and in order to rob the son of her rival of his rights, she called to her aid the goddess Elythia, who retarded the birth of Heracles, and caused his cousin Eurystheus, another grandson of Perseus, to precede him into the world. And thus, as the word of the mighty Zeus was irrevocable, Heracles became the subject and servant of his cousin Eurystheus when, after his splendid victory over Aginus, the fame of Heracles spread throughout Greece, Eurystheus, who had become king of Mycenae, jealous of the reputation of the young hero, asserted his rights, and commanded him to undertake for him various difficult tasks. But the proud spirit of the hero rebelled against this humiliation, and he was about to refuse compliance when Zeus appeared to him and desired him not to rebel against the fates. Heracles now repaired to Delphi in order to consult the oracle, and received the answer that after performing ten tasks for his cousin Eurystheus, his servitude would be at an end. Soon afterwards Heracles fell into a state of the deepest melancholy, and through the influence of his inveterate enemy, the goddess Hera, this despondency developed into raving madness, in which condition he killed his own children. When he at length regained his reason, he was so horrified and grieved at what he had done, that he shut himself up in his chamber, and avoided all intercourse with men. But in his loneliness and seclusion, the conviction that work would be the best means of procuring oblivion of the past, decided him to enter without delay upon the tasks appointed him by Eurystheus. 1. The Nemean Lion. His first task was to bring to Eurystheus the skin of the much-dreaded Nemean Lion, which ravaged the territory between Cleone and Nemea, and whose hide was invulnerable against any mortal weapon. Heracles proceeded to the forest of Nemea, where, having discovered the lion's lair, he attempted to pierce him with his arrows. But finding these of no avail, he felled him to the ground with his club, and before the animal had time to recover from the terrible blow, Heracles seized him by the neck, and with a mighty effort, succeeded in strangling him. He then made himself a coat of mail of the skin and a new helmet of the head of the animal. Thus attired, he so alarmed Eurystheus by appearing suddenly before him, that the king concealed himself in his palace, and henceforth forbade Heracles to enter his presence, but commanded him to receive his behests for the future through his messenger Coprius. Two, THE HYDRA. His second task was to slay the Hydra, a monster serpent, the offspring of Typhon and Echidna, bristling with nine heads, one of which was immortal. This monster infested the neighborhood of Lerna, where she committed great depredations among the herds. Heracles, accompanied by his nephew Iolaus, set out in a chariot for the Marsh of Lerna, in the slimy waters of which he found her. He commenced the attack by assailing her with his fierce arrows, in order to force her to leave her lair, from which she at length emerged and sought refuge in a wood on a neighbouring hill. Heracles now rushed forward and endeavoured to crush her heads by means of well-directed blows from his tremendous club but no sooner was one head destroyed than it was immediately replaced by two others. He next seized the monster in his powerful grasp, but at this juncture a giant crab came to the assistance of the hydra and commenced biting the feet of her assailant. Heracles destroyed this new adversary with his club, and now called upon his nephew to come to his aid. At his command Iolaus set fire to the neighbouring trees, and, with a burning branch, seared the necks of the monster as Heracles cut them off, thus effectually preventing the growth of more. Heracles next struck off the immortal head, which he buried by the roadside, and placed over it a heavy stone. Into the poisonous blood of the monster he then dipped his arrows, which ever afterwards rendered wounds inflicted by them incurable. 3. The Horned Hind The third labour of Heracles was to bring the horned hind Cerunitis alive to Mycenae. This animal, which was sacred to Artemis, had golden antlers and hoofs of brass. Not wishing to wound the hind, Heracles patiently pursued her through many countries for a whole year, and overtook her at last on the banks of the river Ladon. But even there he was compelled, in order to secure her, to wound her with one of his arrows, after which he lifted her on his shoulders and carried her through Arcadia. On his way he met Artemis with her brother Phoebus Apollo, when the goddess angrily reproved him for wounding her favourite hind. But Heracles succeeded in appeasing her displeasure, whereupon she permitted him to take the animal alive to Mycenae. 4. The Erymantian Boar The fourth task imposed upon Heracles by Eurystheus was to bring alive to Mycenae the Erymantian Boar, which had laid waste the region of Erymansha, and was the scourge of the surrounding neighbourhood. On his way thither he craved food and shelter of a centaur named Pholus, who received him with generous hospitality, setting before him a good and plentiful repast. When Heracles expressed his surprise that at such a well-furnished board wine should be wanting, his host explained that the wine-cellar was the common property of all the centaurs, and that it was against the rules for a cask to be broached, except all were present to partake of it. By dint of persuasion, however, Heracles prevailed on his kind host to make an exception in his favour, but the powerful luscious odour of the good old wine soon spread over the mountains and brought large numbers of centaurs to the spot all armed with huge rocks and fir-trees. Heracles drove them back with firebrands, and then, following up his victory, pursued them with his arrows as far as Malia, where they took refuge in the cave of the kind old centaur Chiron. Unfortunately, however, as Heracles was shooting at them with his poisoned darts, one of these pierced the knee of Chiron, when Heracles discovered that it was the friend of his early days that he had wounded, he was overcome with sorrow and regret. He at once extracted the arrow and anointed the wound with a salve, the virtue of which had been taught him by Chiron himself. But all his efforts were unavailing. The wound, imbued with the deadly poison of the Hydra, was incurable and so great was the agony of Chiron that, at the intercession of Heracles, death was sent him by the gods, for otherwise, being immortal, he would have been doomed to endless suffering. Pholus, who had so kindly entertained Heracles, also perished by means of one of these arrows, which he had extracted from the body of a dead centaur. While he was quietly examining it, astonished that so small and insignificant an object should be productive of such serious results the arrow fell upon his foot and fatally wounded him full of grief at this untoward event heracles buried him with due honours and then set out to chase the boar with loud shouts and terrible cries he first drove him out of the thickets into the deep snowdrifts which covered the summit of the mountain, and then, having at length wearied him with his incessant pursuit, he captured the exhausted animal, bound him with a rope, and brought him alive to Mycenae. Five, Cleansing the Stables of Orgias After slaying the Erymantian boar, Eurystheus commanded Heracles to cleanse in one day the stables of Orgias. Orgias was a king of Elis who was very rich in herds. Three thousand of his cattle he kept near the royal palace in an enclosure where the refuse had accumulated for many years. When Heracles presented himself before the king and offered to cleanse his stables in one day, provided he should receive in return a tenth part of the herds, Orgias, thinking the feat impossible, accepted his offer in the presence of his son Phileus. Near the palace were the two rivers Peneus and Alpheus, the streams of which Heracles conducted into the stables by means of a trench which he dug for this purpose, and as the waters rushed through the shed, they swept away with them the whole mass of accumulated filth. But when Orgias heard that this was one of the labours imposed by Eurystheus, he refused the promised garden. Heracles brought the matter before a court, and called Phileus as a witness to the justice of his claim, whereupon Orgias, without waiting for the delivery of the verdict, angrily banished Heracles and his son from his dominions. Six THE Stymphalides. The sixth task was to chase away the Stymphalides, which were immense birds of prey, who, as we have seen in the legend of the Argonauts, shot from their wings feathers sharp as arrows the home of these birds was on the shore of the lake Stymphalis in arcadia after which they were called where they caused great destruction among men and cattle on approaching the lake heracles observed great numbers of them and while hesitating how to commence the attack he suddenly felt a hand on his shoulder Looking round he beheld the majestic form of Pallas Athene, who held in her hand a gigantic pair of brazen clappers made by Hephaestus, with which she presented him. Whereupon he ascended to the summit of a neighbouring hill, and commenced to rattle them violently. The shrill noise of these instruments was so intolerable to the birds, that they rose into the air in terror, upon which he aimed at them with his arrows destroying them in great numbers whilst such as escaped his darts flew away never to return seven the cretan bull the seventh labour of heracles was to capture the cretan bull minos king of crete having vowed to sacrifice to poseidon any animal which should first appear out of the sea the god caused a magnificent bull to emerge from the waves in order to test the sincerity of the cretan king who in making this vow had alleged that he possessed no animal among his own herds worthy the acceptance of the mighty sea-god charmed with the splendid animal sent by poseidon and eager to possess it minos placed it among his herds and substituted as a sacrifice one of his own bulls hereupon poseidon in order to punish the cupidity of minos caused the animal to become mad and commit such great havoc in the island as to endanger the safety of the inhabitants when heracles therefore arrived in crete for the purpose of capturing the bull minos far from opposing his design gladly gave him permission to do so the hero not only succeeded in securing the animal but tamed him so effectually that he rode on his back right across the sea as far as the Peloponnesus. He now delivered him up to Eurystheus, who at once set him at liberty, after which he became as ferocious and wild as before, roamed all over Greece into Arcadia, and was eventually killed by Theseus on the plains of Marathon. 8. THE Mares OF DIOMEDES The eighth labour of Heracles was to bring to Eurystheus the mares of Diomedes, a son of Ares and king of the Bistonians, a warlike Thracian tribe. This king possessed a breed of wild horses of tremendous size and strength, whose food consisted of human flesh, and all strangers who had the misfortune to enter the country were made prisoners and flung before the horses who devoured them. When Heracles arrived, he first captured the cruel Diomedes himself, and then threw him before his own mares, who, after devouring their master, became perfectly tame and tractable. They were then led by Heracles to the seashore, when the Bistonians, enraged at the loss of their king, rushed after the hero and attacked him. He now gave the animals in charge of his friend Abderus, and made such a furious onslaught on his assailants, that they turned and fled. But on his return from this encounter he found, to his great grief, that the mares had torn his friend in pieces, and devoured him. After celebrating due funereal rites to the unfortunate Abderus, Heracles built a city in his honour, which he named after him. He then returned to Tiryn's, where he delivered up the mares to Eurystheus, who set them loose on Mount Olympus, where they became the prey of wild beasts. It was after the performance of this task that Heracles joined the Argonauts in their expedition to gain possession of the Golden Fleece, and was left behind at Chios, as already narrated. During his wanderings he undertook his ninth labour, Which was to bring to Eurystheus the girdle of Hippolyte, queen of the Amazons. End of section twenty five, part one. Recording by Graham Redman.